0: Welcome to Wavecast, the official podcast of the Fisheries and Marine Institute of Memorial University. I'm your host, Eugenie, and today we are diving into projects dedicated to studying the coastal ocean and seafloor around the island of Newfoundland. And stay tuned until the very end of the episode for an exciting new research opportunity. Up first, we are diving into the work of geomatics specialist Sarah Walsh. Sarah is an alumni of the Marine Institute from the Ocean Mapping and Bachelors of Technology program and who currently works with SeaTech, which is part of the School of Ocean Technology at the Marine Institute. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for making the trip out from the launch today. Um, you did your degrees also at the Marine Institute. Is that right? Yeah.
1: So I actually did a uh, marine biology degree at MUN first. Mm-hmm. And then I came right here and did the diploma in OSHA mapping, which was also a a joint program with the Bachelor of Technology as well.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And so now you work as a geomatics technician for? SeaTech. SeaTech. okay. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's out at the launch. And um, I've been working there for about a year and a bit now. But before that, I was working with the Canadian Hydrographic Service here in St. John's. Mm -hmm. That's the organization through DFO that uh, creates all the nautical charts for Canada. So when you're on vessels and you see this paper chart or electronic chart, that's what we do. that's what we did.
0: And so what are you currently working on right now?
1: Well, th- that's the beauty of SeaTech. We have so many different projects that we kind of get our hands in. So I actually just got back yesterday from a hydrographic survey that we were doing in Placentia Bay. We were doing some work for DFFA, which is the Department of Fisheries, Forestry, and Aquaculture. It's a provincial department. So we were mapping the C4 there for them to better understand that area and potentially look for different areas for new aquaculture sites, I think. Tech, myself and Kirk actually are are hydrographers out there. And whenever somebody at the school needs that type of work done, they'll usually reach out to us and see if we're available. So um, another project I worked on was a Ghost Gear project. So we went out in June to Stephenville area and we were using multi-beam And side scan to map the seafloor out there to potentially find lost ghost gear. So Mm -hmm. we were trying to identify targets, and then the same group went back in August to actually retrieve the gear, take it out of the water, and dispose of it. And so that was that was a really cool project to be involved in, and that Mm -hmm. was through uh, a DFO. Uh, Grant.
0: Are there different like resolutions of multi beams where you can detect that you would need to use to detect like nets, for example? Like, or is it pretty obvious with any kind of multi beam if you see a big clump of something there?
1: You know, if you're looking for high resolution, um, you're more than likely going to use a side scan sonar. So, those uh, systems are towed behind a vessel so they can get closer to the seafloor. And the closer you can get to the seafloor, the higher resolution image you can produce, right? So, when we were doing the ghost gear, we were Using the side scan to see more like smaller things like the lobster pots are a little smaller. Mm -hmm. Whereas you could probably see the crab pots on a multi-beam because they're massive round pots, right? You'll see the image. You'll see this seafloor, which is flat, and then you'll just see these two round Mm -mm. things. You're like, obviously, that's a crab pot. But sometimes looking at the multi-beam where there was a lobster pot, that could be a rock. It could be a lobster pot. You're not sure. The resolution's not great enough. But if you use a side scan, which you get closer to the seafloor, it produces a higher resolution. So that's why we were using kind of both both uh, technologies, because we wanted to make sure that we could see um, exactly what we were looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it becoming more common in Newfoundland for these surveys to go out and look for fishing gear?
1: Well, this was a project that was brought out by DFO after the hurricane that hit Porter Basque, what was the last year or before? The one that, you know, devastated Porter Basque. And so, you know, they knew a lot of things had drifted into the into the ocean during that. And they wanted to really focus on on those areas. But my gosh, yeah, like people are losing gear all the time. When we were in Stevenville talking to the fishermen out there, you know, there's issues of people cutting their lines because, you know, they may be in an area that's owned by somebody else, like um, not really owned, but, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, like they, they think that's their area. So they see someone else's gear and they'll cut the line. So they lose their crab pots or the lobster pots.
0: Oh, wow. Right. So a
1: lot of that is happening around the province. So, you know, we don't talk about it, but there is a lot of lost gear out there and just, you know, lobster pots, just collecting lobsters out there all the time that mm-hmm. we don't know about. We can't see it. So, you know, it's it's good that we're focusing on this area because of the hurricane, but I think it's it's important that we continue this work somehow. Mm-hmm. Because it's probably happening across the whole province.
0: Right. Yeah. For you, when you go out there, does it feel almost like you're like a, like a treasure hunter or something? If you're <laughs> 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 like, you look at your screen and you get to see something cool that you wouldn't have been expecting?
1: Oh, no doubt. Like, actually, this past trip we just did, we actually surveyed a shipwreck down in Placentia Bay that actually the day that we, we surveyed it was the anniversary of the day it sunk. Oh, so wow. it was kind of, yeah. yeah it's so actually, cool. there's a post on the, national shipwreck preservation uh linkedin page i think about it but um yeah it's you know when you're looking for a shipwreck you know you're looking for something and you you find it you're really excited to see it but it's the times where you're not expecting to see something and all of a sudden you come across a shipwreck and you're like oh my gosh Hmm. like what is this so you obviously you stop and you start like you survey it a couple different directions so you can get all different angles of it right so the sound is hitting at different points but it's really fun and i think that's one aspect of why I find this career really exciting, but yeah, no, it's pretty cool to see things that people just can't see with their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, I I got into this career because it was a way to better understand our oceans. Like that's something I've always been really passionate about. Just you know, we know more about Mars than we know about our oceans, right? So you know, I want to contribute to that understanding somehow, and this was is my way of doing that. And I find that really. Gratifying, And I think that's where that Seabed 2030 project is really important to me because, you know, we have all this data here at and the brains too. And now we have the opportunity to share it to an organization that is going to allow for a better understanding for our oceans, for climate, climate change. I'm a part of something bigger,
0: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I completely understand. I have the same feelings about my own, my own work and my own research. You're adding like a piece of the puzzle, especially I think it's really cool when, like when you were working for the hydrographic service, because you can directly use the data that you have and give it to them. And you can have all these impacts on navigation for not just like science or conservation, but also for um, like shipping and all those kinds of things, which of course all kind of go hand in hand.
1: Yeah. For safety of navigation, like, you know, that the work that you're putting out is ensuring that there's not going to be shipwrecks. There's not going to be oil spills because they, you know, hit a rock or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. you're it's like instant gratification in that sense. Like you're putting out an actual product. Mm-hmm. Um, here at the Brain Institute, you know, I'm, I'm at the beginning of the work. I get whatever we do, we pass off to the researchers then or whoever is doing whatever work with it. So it's a little bit of time after the fact that I get to see how my work contributed to something but mm-hmm. i it's i find it really exciting here because i'm working on so many different things mm-hmm. i have the ghost gear project i have the mca project which is with mm-hmm. seafar and then this project with dffa and you know there's always new projects coming my way and i get to have my hands in a bunch of different things and mm-hmm. i think that's how my brain works I, d- I don't think i can focus on one thing mm-hmm. so having the ability to do a bunch of different things is really exciting to me
0: can you talk a little bit about your role on the mca project with seafar
1: yeah, so that was actually one of the main reasons I was hired. So they were looking for a hydrographer for that trip. And, you know, it's a five year project. So they needed someone to come in. And, and so basically, we'll go and map the conservation areas around Newfoundland. So we've done, um, Laurentian Channel was the most recent one. We did Funk Island Deep, the Northeast Slope, Hox Channel is another one. So we go out in collaboration with DFO and we'll map at night. So i usually on the night shift and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll map at night and then in the day uh, the seafar crowd will go out and do all their oceanographic work.
0: If you're part of so many different projects, you get to see all these glimpses of research that everybody's doing and you get to contribute an extra little piece to all of those puzzles.
1: Yeah, and then like I said earlier, there's so much work happening at the printing Institute that, you know, you, you almost can't really keep track because everyone's doing so much. So I, I, I feel really lucky that I get to kind of weasel my way into all these mm-hmm. projects somehow and see what they're doing and but we do a lot of really cool work here and and like you know you know I mi international so what they're doing internationally as well and the work that you do is really cool as well so you know people don't realize it but the more we talk about it and let people know what we're doing i think it will draw people in mm-hmm. to want to be here
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh yeah no i think marine institute's are pretty cool place if you yeah. really look into it
0: it's a very cool place yeah no yeah. doubt thank you for coming on to the podcast today
1: no, no problem it was uh great talking to you
0: Next up, I got to sit down with Dr. Jonathan Fisher to talk about his work with the marine conservation areas off of the coast of Newfoundland. Dr. Fisher is an associate professor and research chair in Marine Fisheries Ecosystems Dynamics within the Center for Fisheries Ecosystems Research at the Marine Institute. Welcome to the podcast, John. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you came to study marine science and what led you to the marine institute i
2: think that uh, my interest in in sort of biology goes way back to when i was a kid i've, I've done uh, presentations for other uh, or for students at different levels and presented a picture of myself at uh, sort of like even like petting zoo with deer and other sort of creatures and i had a real interest in freshwater fishing as a youth i had the chance to spend three summers on cape breton island with my aunt and uncle as when i was 12 uh, 11, 12, 13, and that really cemented my interest in the sort of wonders of the ocean. Never knew what I was going to catch, never knew what I'd see under the next rock, and from there, I uh, went into biology very broadly. I didn't know where it would take me, and then uh, actually had an experience here way back uh, as an undergraduate between my third and fourth year at Queen's University, where I came to Newfoundland for the summer, and that really cemented it for me. I knew that uh, the ocean cold water systems were fascinating, a million questions to answer, and maybe I'd get a, uh, to, to have a, a sort of piece of that as a future. It's
0: so- okay. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, this new project that you're working on with the MCA projects?
2: So uh, MCA stands for Marine Conservation Areas, and this is a... a rather large project that the Marine Institute entered into uh, that's that spans from 2021 to 2026. This is uh, a program titled Monitoring and Assessment of Marine Conservation Areas in Newfoundland and Labrador. And it's actually funded through the uh, project, or sorry, through the Oceans Management Funding Program within Fisheries and Oceans Canada. So my role in this uh, sort of grand project is uh, has been to be the chief scientist, develop some of the scientific questions, and working with a host of others, uh, including a expert project manager and many others from DFO and within the the Marine Institute to make this work.
0: Mm-hmm. And what are some of the, the overarching objectives of this project? What do you hope to accomplish with it?
2: So there are a number of things. So uh, one of them is to collect new information on marine conservation areas. Some of these areas have been established in 2017, 2018, and have had uh, less scientific uh, information collected from them, especially the offshore areas. So we're using uh, techniques that are uh, relatively non-invasive to collect uh, new data on these, including the use of uh, fisheries acoustics, multi-beams, ROVs, cameras, uh, environmental DNA, and other techniques to get at uh, questions of sort of what's out there as a baseline and how might these systems change in the future.
0: What is the range? Like where is um, most of this work being conducted? Is it along the continental shelf? Uh, Is it more coastal Newfoundland or?
2: Yes, it's uh, largely along the the continental shelf. So some of these large areas, like the an area called the Northeast Newfoundland Slope that was identified in 2017 and closed to bottom contact fisheries, um, this is an area that extends out to Canadian jurisdiction or 200 nautical miles from shore. Uh, so that's an area that's absolutely enormous, 55,000 square kilometers. So that ranges from say 500 meters to more than 2000 meters of depth. So it's really along that uh, continental slope.
0: Yeah. Well, that would certainly make it a challenge also for things like dropping a baited camera down there or anything like that, where you have all this line in the water and potentially like strong currents, weather, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yes. We've seen uh, um, many of those uh, types of interactions as well as in other programs in the North where those those same things uh, come up. But yeah, these are really extreme depths. So you need the right equipment to be going out. I uh, need the right sort of procedures uh, so that you can put things over and get those things back.
0: Mm-hmm. I think getting them back, yeah, putting them over and getting them back means it was a success right you recover things <laughs> who are the the people that are on this project? you mentioned that students are also involved. I know also like Dfo is involved um, in sending people as well. so who can you expect on these? on this vessel?
2: Yeah, so from day one, a big part of this has been collaboration with Fisheries and Oceans Canada. So there's uh, whole groups at uh, DFO here in St. John's that are working on marine conservation areas, marine conservation targets, and those uh, groups have uh, managers. And part of our uh, structure within this program is an advisory panel that involves people from MI at the management level and people from DFO at those levels. And this is something that's really made this project uh, come together and develop buy-in from both sides. So students are a big part of this, and some of the students that we've had go aboard um, have been from the Marine Environmental Program. So we've had great success with those students, and to the people that are training those students, uh, keep up the good work, because those students are going on to, uh, to bigger and better things.
0: It's always nice to see Marine Institute students in the field, and also not just within the Center for Fisheries Ecosystems Research, it's also the technical programs as well. What kind of impacts do you think that the MCA project will have for Newfoundland? Like, what are you hoping to come out of it in that regard.
2: On the sort of training side, um, so there's also students, uh, not just from School of Fisheries, not just from Marine Environmental that are availing of uh, experiences within this, but also School of Ocean Technology is a big part of it. So uh, students uh, with experience with ROV driving can have been a part of these uh, programs in the summer. So a big part of what this will achieve long-term is the training of the next generation of students and those students coming out of uh, programs and research experiences with knowledge of how to deploy state-of-the-art uh, gear, collect information, and how that information then fits into these uh, types of questions that uh, the, the Canadian uh, population wants to know. What's the status of our oceans? What's the status of these closed areas, and how might they change in the future? So those are a couple of the sort of training side. The other side is the collection and sharing of information with Fisheries and Oceans Canada. So down the road, Fisheries and Oceans Canada will be tasked with evaluating the status of these different zones, and these information that we're collecting will be a big part of what uh, um, what that assessment is based upon.
0: Mm-hmm. I know along the coast of of Labrador, there's a lot of areas where, for example, um, Areas of high currents along the, along the shelf are also areas where you would see like a lot of sponges, a lot of sort of sensitive habitats that are worth protecting. Is there something that you're seeing right now? Like are there habitats that are special or something that stands out to you?
2: Yeah. So um, we have had some sampling within some of those uh, high current zones um, and had some uh, spectacular images come back. But the other side of this is some of these areas, I'm thinking of some of the sampling from this year in 2023, we went to the Hawk Channel closed area. This is an area sort of 50 nautical miles by 50 nautical miles uh, offshore of Southern Labrador. And that area has been effectively closed to bottom contact Year, except for crab fishing uh, for the last 20 years or so. So in many of the different deployments of cameras in that location, didn't matter if there was currents or not. We saw, and DFO experts were there to, to sort of uh, identify these things, saw small corals and sponges at many, many locations, suggesting that after 20 years of closure, um, these might be some of the effects that, uh, that can be seen.
0: Well, I think that that's, that's great. And it's seeing the potential impact of, of this project in the future.
2: Um, the other side of this is also uh, the, the chance to recruit new students. Um, so we have uh, students and postdocs that are being and have been recruited within this program as well. So in addition to um, providing opportunities, research opportunities and training programs for them, uh, we've also uh, used this program to expand the suite of research and technical personnel uh, within the Marine Institute. And so this is a way that the Marine Institute can grow in many different directions.
0: Mm-hmm. And on that note, are you actively recruiting new students?
2: Yes. So the short answer is yes. Um, at the master's level, if, there are a student, if there's a student that can be identified with uh, interest and expertise in analyses of video collection specifically, that's, uh, that's an area where uh, we would like to grow into.
0: Do you mean like video with the ROV footage or with the beta cam footage?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so with baited camera and uh, drop camera footage, uh, combining these uh, different techniques and even looking at uh, those sort of lenses versus environmental DNA collections that we're making at the same locations at the same time. So ultimately, these uh, data will be not only sort of innovative and non-extractive, but be integrated into a, sort of a more wholesome picture of what, uh, what's on the bottom
0: hmm and when is the what is the duration of this project you said it started two years ago and it's it will last until when
2: it'll last until uh, March 2026 so we have uh, a couple more field seasons at least uh, 2024 2025 and the plans are now coming together're uh, Uh, for those different field seasons so that our work can be uh, complementary to the work that uh, DFO is planning and can extend some of those, uh, um, some of these techniques into directions that DFO um, might not be going at this time.
0: Now, this is a slight deviation from the MCA stuff, but do you have any advice for someone who wants to get into the marine science field and get into academia if that's where they choose?
2: Um, I think that my advice would, um, I mean, I'm talking from my own experience would be to sort of follow your own interests, but also maintain the academic um, sort of um, excellence that people down the road might be seeking. Um, So to get into um, the next level, whatever that might be in a Marine career, uh, whether it's at the hiring stage or whether it's at the different uh, level of education, um, those, uh, those academic experiences and grades uh, can help out and bolster the, uh, the experience and enthusiasm that people uh, can show.
0: Yeah, grades and, and experience. I think experience is a really big one. And also joining projects or finding people like you who are like with the MCA project, um, working with DFO, all of those things are very useful.
2: And I think that that's where the Marine Institute is uh, is somewhat unique, right? To have all these experts uh, uh, within the Marine Institute from all different fields uh, where, where students uh, can make contacts and get uh, advice and information directly, uh, get advice through the different programs that they study and uh, see a whole breadth of different uh potential careers uh, that are that are sort of within and beyond the marine institute and of course this is sort of thinking of what's what's available now and i guess the question for the future will be what new things can people come up with um that they would uh, use to explore marine systems or manage marine systems to be more sustainable
0: thank you so much for joining the podcast today thanks jenny Thank you again to Sarah and John for joining us on this week's episode. If you would like to get in touch with any of our guests, or if you have questions for future episodes, you can send an email to wavecast.mi.mun.ca. This will be the last episode for 2023, but we will welcome you again in 2024. Happy holidays. Happy time off. We hope to see you in the new year.